You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's C Sparky. Five for 55 past the hour on a not-so-happy Green and Gold Friday, I guess you could say. As the Packers come up losers to the Detroit Lions, have no fear. Eli Berkovitz is here. We're going to talk to him momentarily as we broadcast from the Wendy Studios. And speaking of Wendy's, have you tried that frosty cream cold brew yet? You probably had some sort of flavored cream cold brew by now because, well, they're delicious, of course. But Frosty has just entered the chat and it's about to shake up the world of cold brews just like it did desserts. Available in vanilla, caramel, and chocolate, Wendy's new frosty cream cold brew is a morning maker and puts other post-lunch pick-me-ups down and down bad. Try a frosty cream cold brew today at a participating Wendy's. And let's talk a little bit about this uh, Green Bay Packers loss, uh, 34-20. to I'm not quite sure if anybody uh, saw this one coming the way it went. Yes, the Lions were the favorite. Yes, there were a lot of Lions fans there. But Eli Berkovitz, uh, co-host of the Pack Pack Show and, of course, co-host on Pack-A-Day Podcast. Follow him on Twitter at BookofEli underscore NFL. Did you see the Packers deciding not to run the football in the first half and ignoring the fact that Aaron Jones was actually active for uh, the game on Thursday night? Uh, No, I definitely did not. I did not see that coming. I don't know. I really I'd have no idea what what the game plan coming into this game could have been because we know Matt LaFleur likes to script the start of halves, for sure the start of games. So I don't think it was like, oh, we got the early interception and now all of a sudden we're going off script and we're doing something crazy. I think he came out more than prepared to be throwing the football early and often. And I just I simply don't get it. Like you have Aaron Jones back from injury. He's not only one of your best players, he's in many people's opinion, including mine, one of the best running backs in the NFL. He's just every time he touches the ball, he makes a play. And you go out there on your first six plays with six straight passes. And then even when you start running the ball, it's AJ Dillon. It's like, I mean, Jones didn't get a touch till the middle of the second quarter. I, I really don't understand it. I don't understand it either. Uh, And, you know, when we look back at this game, a lot of it's going to be said, well, the Packers offensive line stunk. And indeed, it did stink. There's no question. You know, three of the five guys were were brutally bad. uh, And I'm not quite sure about the other two, uh, just from what I watched the first time watching the film. But having said that, uh, this is going to go on the floor and play calling. And he was all fired up at halftime saying everybody had to look at each other's eyes and, and fight back and so forth. Uh, but I think when he watches this film back, he's going to realize he probably has just as much to do with that first half being bad as the offensive line did. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the offensive line, no doubt about it, was nowhere near good enough. Love had no time for sure in that first half. It was like you couldn't get anything going, which only makes LaFleur's play calling all that more questionable, if not absurd because it's like you know the lions have a great pass rush aiden hutchinson's one of the best in the league they just had seven sacks against the falcons last week and you come into the game not only without running the ball 
but every single one of your passes are these long developing routes on five five step drops you're not doing anything play action you're not getting the ball in his hands quick letting guys make plays after the catch none of it made sense and especially just when you look at the matchup and who you were playing on the other side there were so many things he could have done differently so 100 percent there was there was bad execution on the field, but I think coaching set set them up for failure tonight from literally just from, from the get-go, right from the start. The other thing, and I wasn't I wasn't paying close enough attention, and maybe you noticed it. Were they sending running backs to chip on Hutchinson when he was coming? Were, were they helping out Walker at all during this game? Because I didn't I didn't really pick up that they were helping him. I, I can only think of a couple times that I know for sure that I saw one of the running backs go out and chip. I, I could be wrong. I do think some of the tight ends were chipping, but it was weird because, like, I don't think against Aiden Hutchinson you should just be chipping. I think it would have been perfectly valid to keep some tight ends as a sixth blocker, just right. give Love a chance to get the ball to his receivers. You don't need to send out four or five guys in every play. Even even towards, uh, you know, in the second half, there were some third downs they were sending out. A.J. Dillon out of the backfield to run a route. Number one, why is A.J. Dillon in, on third and medium or long instead of Jones? And if he isn't, fine, have him pass block. Love needs the time. A.J. Dillon is not going out there and making any great plays of the passing game anyway. So uh, how concerned are you about this backers offensive line moving forward, knowing David Bakhtiari was placed on the uh, injured list uh, earlier on Thursday, uh, and that means he's out the next four weeks. Now, again, you've got a bye week uh, in the middle of all this. You have Las Vegas and then a bye week, uh, and then I believe it's the Denver Broncos uh, after that. Uh, so from that aspect, you're not facing a couple of really good football teams. Both of those teams aren't that good. It doesn't appear on paper. But still, the way that this line played on the left side without Bakhtiari for sure now for the next several weeks, Elton Jenkins, I'm guessing he doesn't play against Vegas and they hold him up through the bye week at least, uh, can be a scary proposition, uh, but maybe the schedule helps him. Yeah, so first off, I mean, I could be wrong, but from Ian Rappaport's report earlier, I believe it seems like David Bakhtiari's season is over because I think he had arthroscopic surgery oh, on his knee. Oh, I missed that. I missed that. Yeah, yeah. So he had surgery, I believe, yesterday, and he has another one scheduled for a couple weeks from now. Uh, and the, the the plan, the plan is that he's going to be able to come back full strength in 2024. It, that obviously, at this point, it's it's hard to believe and it's a hard pill to swallow. But yeah, David Bakhtiari is his season is over. I totally missed that. When did that one? Uh, we don't have to get into when it came out, but I completely obviously missed that one. So that's devastating then because now that means you're stuck with Rasheed Walker uh, at this point at, at left tackle. Uh, and I don't know uh, what's the next move. Is Yash Nyman a better option at left tackle than, than Rasheed Walker? I don't think, you know, after one bad game from Walker, the Packers make any kind of immediate change because he has looked really good throughout the preseason. He looked good, the, you know, the first couple uh, weeks he was out there playing left tackle. So I don't think it's anything that drastic just yet. But obviously, if this kind of performance continues, it, it's not going to work because Jordan Love was getting hit way too much tonight. And you can't expect him to stay up if he's going to get hit that many times. So I think if they have to, yeah, I think Yash is going to have to get in there. I think you might think about maybe Yash going to right tackle, Tom going to left tackle. I don't know if you want to move Tom right now. And you could also have the thought process of whenever Elton comes back, he goes to left tackle and maybe they're, you know, they would rather have him at left tackle and then deal with Royce Newman at guard. Even though, I mean, I don't think Royce Newman should be starting at guard. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But 
either way, going forward, they're going to need Rashid Walker to really lock down that left tackle spot and then just hope that Elton Jenkins gets back soon. Otherwise, it could get ugly coming up after the bye. What about the defensive side of the ball? I think Way Walker was having a hell of a game until that boneheaded uh, penalty on what should have been a field goal for the Lions there in the fourth quarter, wipes out the field goal. Lions eventually score a touchdown. Uh, I, I tend to believe he probably didn't know the rule, uh, and that's what happened when he was lo- playing Frogger out there, jumping over the line. Yeah, it was. I mean, that was just the, the so frustrating. Because look, you can't sit here and say, "Oh, after the way the game was going, it was going to be you know some kind of miracle comeback like last week, and they were going to do it." But down thirteen with over nine minutes left, it was at least a possibility. At least would have given Jordan Love a chance. And to go see him make a play like that, I mean, it's really just kind of a microcosm of what we've seen throughout his career. He is an incredibly talented player. We saw it all night, the entire night, flying around the field, making tackles. His speed is amazing to see. And then he goes and he does a play like that. And, you know, and we didn't think it would be the biggest moment of the game, but what turns out to be, you know, kind of the nail in the coffin for this game. And like you said, I agree. I mean, if you know that rule, you're not going to do that. So I think he didn't know that rule, which to me is more disturbing than anything. I mean, how are you in the NFL and you're not that you don't even know that rule or at the very least that you're not coached that rule? How is Rich Passaccia not coaching that? That is for me what is more disturbing than anything because it's like that is kind of like some rookie stuff. We haven't seen anyone try to do that for years because it's been illegal for a while. What about Rich Passaccia and the job he's done with special teams? It doesn't appear they've been all that good as far as kick returns go this year. Yeah, uh, obviously, Keyshawn Nixon has not popped off anything big this year. And to be honest, I mean, he's barely making it back to the 25. So that has not been good at all. It's hard to say, you know, when you look at what the special teams was for years before and how bad it was, it makes you feel like, okay, Basachi is not that bad. But it's also not, like you said, it's not been that great. Like, we have not for sure done anything this year. We gave up the pun return for a touchdown last week. So I do think at some point, Bisaccia is going to need to come under some amount of fire for getting his unit in line. Like he's the highest paid special teams coordinator in the league. He's very respected. And I like him as a coach for the most part, but we have seen some for sure. And when it comes to coverage or blocking, I mean, we all know how that has been in the past, just some weird mental lapses. So he's, he's got to tighten up that for sure. You know, Packer fans are all upset on social media tonight watching this game, and I get it, right? Matt LaFleur is not that good of a coach. He's overrated. They'll never win a championship. Fire Joe Barry. Everybody's freaking out. Jordan Love's not as good as we thought. They play a good team, and now look, he's rattled. He's shook. But, folks, and I said this, you're not going 15-1 and with this team or 16-1 and with this team with Jordan Love and all these young players and everything that they have. I think most people had him at 7-9 and nine wins, which means you're going to lose 8 or 9 games throughout the course of a season, and this is one of them against a team that was picked to win the division. I feel like Packer fans are, are you know, acting like the, the the sky is falling at this point, but this is kind of expected. That last interception that he threw, Dobbs wasn't where he was supposed to be, where Love thought he was going to be, and, and turned it back the other way into the end zone, and you knew those type of interceptions were going to happen this year, where the wide receiver wasn't going to be on the same page as the quarterback. And you knew going in that these were going to occur, and it's part of the growing pains with this team. Two and two at this point, I'm fine. I'm not worried about it at all. Beat Vegas, you're three and two going into the bye week, and I think that's a success through five games. 100%. Uh, I totally agree. I mean, bottom line, if you 
go into the bye week three and two or you know bye week not bye week either way you're five weeks into the season with a winning record when you have a first time starter and basically the youngest team we've seen in a long time for sure the youngest offense you know at skill positions that's that's a win but i think when it comes to at least tonight's game i think it's more of just the way it looked and how bad it was like yeah sure you know what if they went out tonight and they lost you know even if it was 27-17, fine, a double-digit loss, but it was respectable. You scored some points in the first half. But to go out and essentially what? They had one yard into the second quarter. They had three points. They were down 27-3 to three at half. I mean, to do it like that, where especially right after that huge momentum comeback win, it's like you're riding this high, and then you come out, and you just look awful, no energy. Obviously, we already talked about the play calling and the game plan. So I think it was more of that, where it was like, it wasn't just you lost. It was like you looked as as bad as you could even think you could look. And that's how bad they looked, and at least in that first half. What about giving credit to Matt LaFleur from this perspective? You saw the halftime interview. He comes out and getting all emotional, saying he wants to see them fight back and do something, and was yelling uh, apparently at the offense prior to going into the half on the sidelines. And I'm sure he was yelling at him at halftime. And the fact that they responded and woke up and overall looked a hell of a lot better in the second half than they did the first half means this team is obviously still buying into Matt LaFleur, and Matt LaFleur still can press a button or two to get this young team to respond to him. Yeah, well, one thing I will definitely give to LaFleur is that there's no doubt that this team really is connected, and it's like it is everyone together no one is doubting each other. No one is pointing fingers. It is we believe in each other. Everyone's rallied around love. Obviously, we've seen that. But overall, it really is. It seems like a very close group and a very energetic group. And I, and I do love that. But at Matt LaFleur, I, what he, you know, when we saw that interview after half, I do feel like I've not seen him that kind of like emotional before, like almost like angry. And we saw after the Atlanta game, I think it was the most kind of anger and you could say saltiness I've ever seen him at a press conference. So I do like seeing that out of him. And I agree that is nice. I, but I do think maybe people's uh, people's issue with Matt LaFleur, or at least my my biggest issue is just it will always be impossible for me to understand the lack of Aaron Jones usage. And it's not just about tonight. It's It's been for years. And I even just looked at it before before we started talking tonight. Over the last, in 2022 and 2021, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon played within six, five, and even seven percent of the snaps. I mean, they're playing, it's essentially a split backfield with one guy who is one of the most dynamic players in the NFL and another guy who seems to trip on his feet every other carry he takes. So that is, I think, where a lot of the frustration comes in. It's just like, what, how do you not get your best player the ball more than you do, way more than you do? I agree a thousand percent. He is Eli Berkovich. Check him out on the Pack a Day podcast, of course. Uh, also does some writing for Packer Report there too. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Book of Eli underscore NFL. Packers get embarrassed by the Detroit Lions at Lambeau Field. And Eli, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, having me on. And everyone, yeah, I think this, like you said, this is a game that we kind of expect to happen throughout the year. Hopefully, we see a much better one out in Vegas next week.